This is Penny Radio. Thank you for tuning in. I'm James Whittington, and I'm here to help you master your money. Whether you're a complete beginner or have been around the block once or twice, now is the time to start your journey and take control of your finances. And I'll be with you every step of the way. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Penny Radio with your hosts, James, and the voice of reason, Craig James. And now before we kick off, I must apologize to everyone for the very large gap between the first and the second episodes of this season. It's all Craig's fault. Uh, That's all I'd like to say. Craig, would you like to apologize as well? I'm a man who's willing to accept responsibility when they've done wrong. Owning your mistake is very important. In this circumstance, however, that is nonsense. And I think you need to own up, James, and admit that the problem is that you moved house and that the fault lies not with myself, but with you. Yeah, you have a very fair point there, Craig. And it was because I moved house after months and months of waiting for everything to go through. So this has been furloughed, etc. I would like to say that we did check the internet situation before we moved. We were promised by a certain internet provider that we were able to just move in and go pretty much from day one. However, they did not tell us that there was actually no connection at the house. And when they said they were going to come and install it, they did not install it when they said they would. So they will be getting the full blame. I'm not shocked that you're passing the book again. (laughs) As a former employee, I can only speak highly of the service that they provide. Oh, well, there you go. That explains a lot, doesn't it? I was still there. It would be great, but I'm not. (laughs) I would actually like to say that since we've had the internet, it's been great. So since we've got it, we can do all the internet-y things that we were doing before. So as a result, we can now record this episode. Anyway, well, that's the excuses out of the way with. How's it going, Craig? You right? I not too bad. It's the weather's turned from, um, you know, living on the face of the sun to the wettest, windiest place you could possibly imagine. So, But other than that, it's fine. I would like to say, well, previously on episodes, we've talked about the, uh, the lack of gardening ability that my wife and I have. It turns out I was wrong. Now, fucking excellent gardeners. That cherry tree that wasn't doing much, it's full of life. You know, it, it's, it's going from strength to strength. We've got Japanese maples, we've got lavender, we've got you know, hydrangea, we've got, you know, all kinds of other stuff going on. We are apparently the, I don't want to overstate it, so I think I would just say that we're probably the UK's finest gardeners. Brilliant. <laughs> it's uh, always good to know that you uh, have a talent you didn't realise, I guess, just like when we first started recording this podcast. That's the sound of tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how uh, has uh, everything in lockdown been for you apart from the gardening? Have you been uh, eating out to help out? Uh, yeah, we have. We've uh, done that a couple of times. It's been uh, a largely uh, reasonable experience. It's been fine. How about you? Have you been eating out to help out? Actually, yeah. Today we ate out to help out. We did it for the first time today. It was great. Didn't even realize it. Got like a half price coffee. I would have totally got double cake if I'd remembered. <laughs> yeah, I've been in that situation. We went to Pret the other day for lunch because we were in town and totally forgot. I was like, oh, well, I should have got like more sandwiches. So we're going to have them tomorrow. <laughs> right. Well, uh, apart from that, I mean, lots has obviously happened with the whole uh, coronavirus situation since our last episode. Boris has now promised that Corona will be over by Christmas, which is always good. Can't argue with that, can you? Literally, no, you cannot argue with that because even if you bring 
logical, well thought out, reasonable points to the table, they'll just be rejected and met with waffle and nonsense. So you I mean, literally cannot argue with it. It's uh, impossible. And now we've got record-breaking exam results as well. So the most highly qualified age group ever as well, now that um, they've sorted out this uh, slight exam issue that they were having. So that's always good. It's looking good, looking bright. Like I say, a lot has happened and also not a lot has happened. So I think what we'll remember is this gap between episode one and episode two is, um, you know, you didn't miss out on anything. So, um, yeah, that's why we just didn't bother. Yeah, let's go with that. I'll edit that bit so it sounds seamless and and brilliant, obviously. (laughs) Go for it. I mean, we're highly skilled business professionals. Exactly. That is correct. So all you listeners out there, I know it's a long time ago, but what did you make of the last episode? You've probably had plenty of time to think about your goals now. How have you found it? Did you find it a difficult exercise to do? What about you, Craig? Have you got your life plan all laid out before you now? Well, to be honest, James, every time you mention thinking about goals, uh, I just go back to thinking about Dennis Bergkamp's goal against Argentina in the semi-finals of France 98. I mean, that was just probably the greatest goal I've ever seen. I'm sure there are better goals, but it's just something special. So uh, what were you saying? <laughs> Have you got your life plan all laid out before you now? Yes. Okay, good. Well, good stuff. Glad to see we are practicing what we are preaching, as always. So... As I said on the last episode, if you can remember that, over the next few episodes, we're going to be looking at our current situation so that we can figure out our own starting point when it comes to planning for our financial futures. This is really step one of our financial framework. If you know where you currently are, once you've finalized your goals of where you want to get to, then you can really figure out how to get there. Now, figuring out where you want to get to and figuring out where you are at the moment isn't just a one-off exercise. It's really something that we should do on a regular basis. And especially when there have been some major changes in our lives as well. So we'll talk about that more in the later series. But I wanted to forewarn you that as we go through figuring out our current situations, you know it's not just a one-off. And you can start to figure out a good process for you to get all this information together for the next time you need to do it as well. And whenever we look at our current situation, we need to remember it really is only a snapshot or a photograph of this current moment in time. And therefore, things will change in the future. So that's why it's not a one-off exercise. Another thing we need to remember before we dive into it is that each and every one of you listening out there and Craig and I will all have different situations, which is why personal finance really is just that, personal. It means that once you've pulled together all the information on where you currently are and worked out your goals and aims, these are going to be very different from someone else's. And so therefore, the things you need to do to get there will be different as well. Now, Craig and I couldn't possibly cover every single scenario out there. It would just take forever and it would probably be very, very boring especially this is Craig's voice for that long. But the framework that we're helping you to build or the set of processes to help you master your money, they'll be the same. And they'll help you figure out your own situation now and in the future as your life changes. So as we go through the things we need to look at in this episode and the rest of the series, we'll explain why it could be important to look at where we are with regards to these things. And while some of these areas may not be relevant for you now, they may be in the future. And those of you who did the homework from the first season will already have a lot of the information on your own personal financial situation to hand. I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. You wouldn't plan to go on a journey without both knowing A, where you want to get to, and B, where you are currently. That would make it impossible. You'd become hopelessly lost and you'd probably end up in a ditch or in the sea or in the middle of Marks Spencer's with no trousers. You know, a, 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 a total nightmare. 
Well, I don't even think you'd realise that you would be lost in the first place, would you? Because you wouldn't really know where you were going. So you wouldn't even realise that you're lost, which is kind of probably a worse situation. You may end up in Mark's suspenses with no trousers on and think that that's what you planned all along. Yeah, you're supposed to be bumbling around looking for biscuits with no trousers on in Mark's suspenses. And as far as you're concerned, success, great success. But in reality, no, it's gone wrong somewhere and you need help. Let's just make that clear. You know? There's always room to improve. Every day is a school day. Past exactly. performance is not necessarily an indicator of future performance and all that kind of thing. I mean, until that to your spots, probably if it has a marker <laughs> pen and access to a pair of flippers, you know. A pair of flippers? Clippers. Oh, clippers. The kind that you use to keep your uh, long flowing locks in check. My bouffon. <laughs> James is bald, everybody. James is very bald. Hey, it's a choice. It's a choice. I've gone for the Jason Statham look. Mm. Or is it just the, the grass has stopped growing, so you got rid of the lawn? <laughs> Luckily, the listeners will never have to see me. So um, just imagine me with flowing locks like David Ginolar circa 1998, maybe. That's a fantastic football reference for someone who doesn't like football. Well, now I'm going to think about David Ginola. That's terrible. I'm lost now. <laughs> He's got better hair than Burkamp, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that is true. He's got better hair than almost everybody and better face. And just yeah. Everything. What a magnificent man. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't actually listened to the first season yet, shame on you. But no, if you haven't listened to it or you haven't done any of the stuff that we suggested in the first season, don't worry about it because we're going to be building on what we learned in that season. We're going to be delving into a little bit more detail about what different things are that we've only touched on until now. But having said that, some topics that we'll discuss could have a whole series dedicated to them just because they're so big, complex, lots to get your head around. So you'd be pleased to hear that we'll be continuing gradually building up our knowledge of the things we need to know and when. So no need to worry. We're not just going to be getting down and dirty straight into complicated things like tax rules or pension transfers or anything like that. We'll just be building up what you need to know when you need to know it. So having said that, we're going to talk about something quite complicated if it affects you at the moment. If it doesn't and it won't do for the majority of you, then don't worry about it. But one thing that you do have to bear in mind, and this may change as your situation changes and it changes sometimes for people as they get older, especially as they retire, is what your domicile and residency statuses are. This sounds like citizenship and it's kind of loosely related to that. What it actually is, is where you should be paying tax in what country if you live or you're from different countries or spend some time in a different country. So it can get quite confusing for some people, but for the majority of you, it's not really going to be an issue. And the reason that I say that we should look at it now is because going forward, it can impact lots of different areas. So it's worth bearing in mind. And if it does impact you, having a look at it now. So as always, we're going to be focusing on the UK and we'll be assuming that you're both domiciled and resident in the UK. If that's not the case, you may have to speak to an expert for your domicile and residency to make sure you're not breaking the law, either in the UK or whatever country you're living in, and so that you know what the taxes are that you have to pay, to whom, and what you're entitled to. Now, it's not necessarily to do with your citizenship or what passport you have, just to make it slightly more complicated. Domicile doesn't even really have a proper definition. I guess the best way that you can explain it is by giving some sort of example of where you might be domiciled. 
the country that your official permanent home is, or that has been for a long time, or that you have a substantial connection to, is your domicile. So basically, wherever you're born or wherever your parents are from, when you're born, that will be your domicile until you get a new domicile. And even if you move and live abroad, you'll probably keep your original domicile. To change domicile, you've got to be 16 and over and meet a load of fairly subjective criteria that proves you have moved abroad with the intention of living there permanently and never coming back, that you're fully integrated and assimilated within your new community. And proving that can be quite hard, especially as some countries don't allow full integration for foreigners, like voting in elections. And that's one of the tests that people look at to see if you've actually changed domicile. So that can be quite a weird one. But basically, just assume, unless you've actively tried to change your domicile, it's whatever country you were born in, or basically whatever country your parents were born in. Now, residence, on the other hand, is less permanent than that. And it's a little bit easier to define. It's where you're based for tax purposes. It is actually possible to be resident in more than one country at the same time. Although ideally you should avoid this, as it may mean that you get taxed more than once for the same thing in different places. And there are a whole series of tests that HMRC use to work out what your residence is. I'll put a link to these in the show notes. But basically, if you spend more than half a year in the UK in a tax year, you'll be a UK tax resident and owe tax in the UK. You'll also be able to do things like open an ISA, which is one of the tax wrappers that we looked at last season. Uh, I may be skipping ahead here. With the domicile yeah. stuff, what, what's the sort of financial uh, implications of the domicile stuff? Yeah, so it is quite confusing. And there are a lot of different tax implications if you're bringing money into the country, where you're earning money, where you make any capital gains, so any profits from buying and selling different assets like property in different countries, and when you die as well. It can have sort of long-ranging implications that may not be an issue for you now, but could be in the future. And to add confusion to things, you can be resident in the UK and domicile somewhere else and vice versa. You can even be domicile and resident outside of the UK, but still eligible to be taxed in the UK. So there's a whole sort of series of different scenarios where residence and domicile can impact the amount of tax you have to pay, the type of tax you have to pay, and to who as well. Where situations aren't entirely clear, the UK tends to have individual tax agreements with each country or groups of countries that say what tax you have to pay and to who as well. So say you have like a crazy situation where your, your domicile is the US, you have, uh, say, European residency, you're living partly in the UK and you earn some money in the UK, then there could be all kinds of different taxes you have to pay to all the countries that you may be related to in some way. And especially when it comes to the USA, the rules will be very different and very complicated. And if you effectively pay tax in the USA once, you're almost having to declare what your tax status is for the rest of your life. US tax especially can be very far-reaching and can have very long-term implications. So if this situation does impact you in any way, shape or form, you're best off speaking to an expert on your particular situation, a specific tax expert on, say, UK and Spanish tax or UK and American or UK and Australian tax. But effectively, if you're born in the UK, have always lived in the UK, then this isn't going to be an issue for you at the moment anyway. But say you do want to retire to Costa del Sol in 50 years' time, then it could become an issue for you in the future. So you may need to bear it in mind now 
you may need to set up your finances in a way that you're going to be taxed most efficiently and not pay double tax or pay the wrong type of tax or whatever. It's not just tax. There can be issues around the welfare benefits that you're entitled to. Craig, you work, you pay national insurance contributions, and that entitles you to state pension in the future. But say you decided to retire in Australia, you'd still get your state pension, but it won't actually increase with inflation every year. In about 10 years' time, if you'd retired in Australia, the amount of state pension you'd get would have just stayed the same in uh, nominal terms and actually decreased in real terms. Because we all know what happens to our money when inflation takes a big bite out of it every year. So there can be quite a lot of implications for people that do actually want to spend more time abroad or are going to retire permanently abroad in the future as well. You basically have to look at your own personal situation. You have to take expert opinion or even financial advice where you need it to work out what it means for you. So I I do really suggest that you go away and find out what your domicile and residency statuses are. If you aren't UK domiciled and don't have UK tax residency, then I suggest you go away and figure out what this actually means for you. Craig, what would you say your domicile and residency statuses are? Well, it sounds like it's somewhat hard to define what the domicile thing is, but um, it seems a bit nebulous, perhaps deliberately so. But I would say, um, apart from that period of my life where I was uh, working in undisclosed parts of Central Europe for undisclosed reasons, I'd probably say I was a domicile and UK resident. Brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that that's probably true as well. I think both of your parents were born in the UK as well, and they have UK domicile. You were... I mean, they were born in Hartlepool, so I'm not sure if that counts, really. Is that north of the wall? (laughs) No, but it is, of course, the place that um, when a French ship ran aground off the coast of Hartlepool, the only person left alive was a monkey. So they assumed, therefore, and having never seen a Frenchman, that the monkey, which was jabbering at them incomprehensibly, was a Frenchman. And so hung the monkey, thinking it was a Frenchman, and therefore an enemy of the good people of Britain. Uh, It sounds like nothing has changed. That's why the mascot for the Hartlepool Football Club is called Hangus the Monkey and was elected mayor of Hartlepool more than once. And when did this happen? Like a couple of years ago? Hangus the Monkey was ooh, 10 years ago, maybe. What, when he turned up on the, the coast of Hartlepool with a ship 10 years ago? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I should probably have clarified that this was during the Napoleonic Wars. It wasn't just a cruise liner run aground or something. <laughs> I guess then you are very, um... <laughs> well, you're not French. No, I wouldn't so... have so. <laughs> oh, that's right, right. Uh, yeah, so I guess that you are UK domiciled and have UK tax residency as well, which uh, good news for you, Craig. It makes it much simpler for you and means that you can do things like open an ISA, which um, people who do not have UK tax residency cannot do. So congratulations. Cool. That comforts me immensely when I look at my payslip every month and see how I've been shafted. <laughs> right. Is there like a little deduction on your payslip for Emily? Oh, I mean, there's a deduction post payslip of, you know, total. <laughs> <laughs> 100% into Emily's bank account. Yeah. Well, at least Emily can set up a, an ISA. Oh, she's oh, a, in fact, no, she's it's, UK it's, resident. It's into the accounts of people who make artisanal, niche, Scandinavian, Instagrammable products for small children. That's where the money goes. And house plug. Uh, 
it sounds like uh, you're keeping the economy going single-handedly, so congratulations, you are a hero, Craig. I always knew it. <laughs> okay. Right, next up, another important thing to think about is your health life expectancy. Now, that may be a bit morbid, sure, but it's still very important. Now, looking at the demographics of the millions of listeners that we have, most of you are young and probably fit and healthy, but there's still a number of reasons why this is important. What do you think they might be, Craig? What reasons to be fit and healthy? Reasons to think about your health and life expectancy when it comes to thinking about your financial situation in the future. Oh, well, I mean, if you're going to live fast and die young, then you don't really care about your pension, do you? But uh, if you're planning on having a long and relaxing retirement, then the pension might be quite important. Exactly, yeah. Uh, that's obviously one of the things. Um, so why don't we talk about that now? That's a good segue into um, the next section. So firstly, the average life expectancy in the UK at the moment is about 81 years. It's a bit higher for women, a bit lower for men. So on average, you'll need to plan to have enough money to last you for at least that long. You can start taking your pension from 55 years old at the moment, which will soon go up to 56 years. But is it wise to do so if you've still got another 25 years to live and for it to last that long? If you're like, I don't know, 77 years old now, then maybe making an investment that you cannot access for the next 10 years won't be appropriate if the average age is only 81 years. And whilst that is the average age, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you're going to live till. Babies being born now have a life expectancy of over 90 years, and apparently more than 20% of them will live to see 100 years old. So again, we need to factor in that it's only an average. When you come in to do your planning, it's no good having just enough money to last until you're 81, only for you to then live another 20 years in complete poverty. So that's exactly what you were saying, Craig. The majority of people do want to kind of have a you know, long, healthy lifestyle, then you don't want to be running out of money just when you probably need it most. So health is obviously very important too, because if you've got a condition or ailment that could affect your life expectancy, then you're going to need to take account of that in your planning as well. Because say you've already suffered from cancer or heart disease, then that may impact your life expectancy. But it may also mean that you have to plan to spend more money on things like care or equipment in the future to help you out. Uh, same as if you've got history of it in your family as well, then it can mean that you may want to start putting aside money for that in the future or getting things like life or critical illness insurance may be a higher priority for you, but it will also actually make it more expensive for you as well. So you kind of have to think about all of these things as well. It's not just how long you're going to live for, it's how you protect those that you leave behind as well, as well as protecting yourself if you need it. So just remember that even if you are young, fit and healthy and have no family history of illnesses, half of us will get cancer in our lifetimes and half of us will also suffer from heart disease. That's pretty scary statistics, but we do have to be mindful of them when planning our finances so that we can actually start making some sort of uh, contribution to that future potential issue that may exist or put aside money for the people that depend on us if we would suffer from those things in the future. So to demonstrate how we need to consider these things when it comes to our finances, let's just take a quick look at life insurance as an example. Now, the younger and fitter you are when you get life insurance, the cheaper it is. So it could cost a fit and healthy 30-year-old as little as £17 a month to get half a million pounds of life insurance until they retire, whereas a fit and healthy 55-year-old could be charged over £100 a month for the same cover. So why don't you go away, think about your life expectancy and your health, 
think about how long you might live till, which is very morbid, and what the chances of this being impacted by illness based on your current health and your family history. And therefore, how you think you should take into account these things when setting your goals and making your financial plans for the future. Now, Craig, considering we've just talked about the chances of us getting seriously ill in the future or suffering from a potentially deadly illness, how many people in the UK do you think have life insurance? Well, I would assume that everyone who is a homeowner has life insurance because it's generally a condition of mortgage. So as a percentage of the population, I'm going to say 35%. Close, very close. It's actually 30%. Now, you say that it's a condition of the mortgage, and it often is, but actually very rarely are any checks done on whether that insurance is taken out or not. So I think a few people do just avoid getting it for a start. I think there's a case of a lot of people just don't even realize what it is or that they need it which if you think about it logically, there's a 100% chance of us dying at some point, right? So only 30% of us getting life insurance doesn't really make sense. Now, I know that there's something to be said about, well, you only really need life insurance to cover certain things and for certain points in your life, maybe. But you know, older people who have already paid off their mortgage can use life insurance for a number of different other ways as well, such as sort of offsetting or paying for any um, inheritance tax. There are beneficiaries who inherit their estate, may owe in the future. So life insurance is actually useful for a lot of people that don't even realize that A, they should have it, or B, that it could be useful for them. So hopefully after listening to this and after listening to future episodes we'll do on uh, insurance and life insurance, then our listeners out there will understand what the benefits are, how it can be used, how it can be useful, and uh, may think about getting it if it's suitable for them. And now the next thing that we need to think about, which is probably more relevant for you, Craig, than for me, and like everything else comes down to your own situation and plans, we need to assess our dependence. And now dependence if you're not really familiar with that word or haven't really thought about it, are the people that depend on us. And they might be partially or fully dependent, and it may be financially or otherwise. And that can be temporary or permanent. So, Craig, who are your dependents? Well, let's see. I would say I've got three children, wife, dog, cat. So what's that? Several dependents. Does a dog and a cat count? Yeah, I mean, not normally, Animals don't normally count as dependents because they're treated as property. Jeez. Yeah. I know, strange, right? So they, they don't normally count as dependents when we look at it from a financial perspective. But from a planning perspective, certainly you can include them because say something were to happen to you and Emily, then somebody's got to look after your dog and your cat, right? Oh, well, I should hope so. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of making plans for the worst situations that may happen, then yeah, certainly it's, it's definitely worth bearing in mind anything or anybody that are dependent on you. So yeah, that's totally right, Craig. It's normally your children, your family, or any children that you may be planning to have in the future. But dependents can also include your partner, an older relative, someone in your family with a disability or a vulnerability, Basically, anyone who's close to you who relies on you financially or otherwise. Basically, anyone that you need to take into consideration when making any type of plan for the future. Now, that can also mean that if you're a business owner, that your dependents may even include your employees. Now, it depends on what way that your business is structured, obviously. But as you're making plans for the future, you may want to consider your employees or even the business as a dependent on you if without you, the business wouldn't run anymore. 
there's all types of different things to think about when uh, it comes to dependency. And as I mentioned earlier, dependency can actually be temporary as well as permanent. When I say temporary, that can be long-term temporary or short-term temporary. So Craig, you would hope that your kids won't be financially dependent on you forever because I think that would probably suck <laughs> quite a lot. So I, I'm guessing that you're saying that you would hope that they will be temporarily dependent on you rather than permanently dependent on you. Absolutely. <laughs> but I guess if something bad happened, then unfortunately your parents or an elderly or disabled relative may become dependent on you. That may be more permanent until such a time that they are able to take care of themselves again or they passed away or something like that, in which case that dependency wouldn't exist anymore. But temporary dependency can also be very short-term. So say someone close to you has just lost their job and needed a place to stay or needed some help, or say your partner was recovering from a serious illness, or even bereavement, then they may become dependent on you for a few weeks or months. So because you need to take into account your dependence when you're planning for your financial future, and because these people and their level of dependency can change quite often, you really need to reassess this on a regular basis, especially if there are any major changes that cause a change in dependency as well. And that's to make sure that your financial situation can cope properly with this level of dependency. And if not, then at least you know there's a gap that needs filling and can work out how to do that. Craig, how would you go about doing that? How would you go about figuring out what a good way of working out your dependence or potential dependence would be and how long they may be dependent on you and what sort of financial impact that may look like? Well, I guess you'd have to start off with the simple stuff, you know, um, think about how long the children are likely to stay at home for, you know, how long before they head off to university. I guess they'll still be dependent to some extent whilst they're away, unless they get jobs, but even then, still a dependent, really. So we have to think yeah. about, uh, you know, how long they're going to be in sort of higher education, when they might be able to get a job once that's finished. And then when yeah. you get to the realisation that they're all going to be in their 30s before they leave home, um, you go to the cupboard, find the whiskey, and sit down for a while. Then you can think about, you know, we've, we've, Emily and I have both got uh, parents. Unsurprisingly, most people do have parents. Uh, Emily's got two sets of parents. I've just got one. Lucky her. And, you know, at some point, there may be a situation where some of those uh, parents are old, infirm, partners, grandparents die, et cetera, et cetera. And then we may have to think about whether or not we will be able to accommodate them, whether or not we'd want to find somewhere else for them to live, how much of a waiting list there is for Dignitas clinics, how easy it is to get to Switzerland. Uh, <laughs> think about those things as well. There's, a, there's yeah. quite a few areas to cover. and uh, I mean, it's quite a high-level exercise, but one that would probably take a fair bit of time and, and concentration as, as a sort of a planning process. Definitely, yeah. I think the more you kind of think about, the more you realise that there could be potential dependency you wouldn't have necessarily thought of before. And then the more you kind of realize as well what the financial impact may be, then almost the next step is that that impact is on you or your family or whatever. And then what that may mean for your own personal living situation as well, because no one wants to not provide for or not help out those people that are close to them. It kind of becomes a bit of a balancing act as well. That can be really difficult. There's a lot of difficult decisions that have to be made as a family. It's definitely worth sitting down with 
the people that are close to you to ask them how they have potentially set up for their future if they were to be ill or they were to die, what sort of provisions they've put in place as well when you're thinking about this. And it can be quite a difficult conversation to start because it's like, oh, you go around your in-laws for Sunday lunch. Let's bring out this really morbid topic about, have you got life insurance? Have you started putting money aside for when you're going to have to be put in an old people's home or something like that? You know, it's, it's very difficult to broach that conversation. But I think the sooner that you do, the sooner that everyone knows where they are, then you can start making those plans and you have more time to set aside money for if you if you are going to be having people that are financially dependent on you in the future. So like with anything, when it comes to financial planning, the sooner you start, the better. The more that you do have these conversations, the more used to it that people become. So then they feel less awkward about talking about it. And they may not have even thought about it themselves. So it could be a good thing to actually start that conversation ball rolling, so to speak. But a good way to start off, at least, is if you have a partner, sit down with your partner. If not, you can do this by yourself. But draw up a list of the people that are currently dependent on you, and then a second list of people that you think of that may become dependent on you in the future. That includes if you're thinking of having kids in the next few years, or you think you may be looking after an elderly relative soon, whatever it may be, just come up with those two lists. And then next to each person, write down who they are, how they're related to you, why they're dependent on you, and like Craig said, how long you think they might be dependent on you, and then work out how much you think that dependency might cost you per year if they haven't made provisions for it themselves. And then finally, how much you see that cost changing in the future for the time that they might be dependent on you. Like Craig said, you know, your kids may go to uni, so they may get a part-time job to help pay for that, but actually their cost to you may go up even though they're not living at home because you may be helping them fund their costs if they can't get a job or you know, pay for their fees or whatever it may be. Or, you know, if you're looking to help an elderly relative cover their costs of care, care costs go up all the time, like by crazy amounts. So think about that, that you may be able to cover for the next couple of years, somebody going into care, but um, you may not be able to cover it after that because it goes up quicker than inflation normally. So it's really good to sort of set all of this out so that then you can start thinking about if there are any gaps or not. So... um Craig, after this episode, if you go away and do this, how long are you going to be putting down for your kids' length of dependency? Are you planning for them to still be kicking around and bumming off you in their mid-30s, or are they going down to mine when they hit 16? So just thinking it through, thinking about the kind of length of time they could be dependent and the sort of cost of that dependence, I think the answer is probably too long and too much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Are you regretting your life choices? Not for one moment. Every day with my children is an absolute privilege and a gift. Yeah, obviously no one regrets, or not everyone regrets having their kids. I need to talk to my parents. <laughs> Mine as well. <laughs> Justified. Yeah. <laughs> kids are expensive. They can be more expensive than you maybe realised before you had them. But, um, you know, a lot of people do have kids. So it is definitely a valuable exercise to sit down and think about. And even if you don't, there are like the other people that may become dependent on you. So at least having that planning and thinking about it in the future, you know, if you're forewarned, then you're forearmed, so to speak. So I think it's a useful exercise. You can plan how much money you need to set aside for your dependents each year, figure out if you need to build up some more savings now and how much that may increase in the future. And then you can really use this list or table or whatever to really identify any gaps. And then 
how much that may impact your own safety net as well. So, for example, a single person with no dependents may only have to put a couple of grand aside as an emergency fund. Whereas, Craig, that may be like four or five times more for you because you know, you've got to provide for a much bigger family. You may also want to consider getting life insurance more than a single person with no dependents as well. It also lets you figure out how much life insurance you may need to protect your dependents. And once you start looking into it, you can actually think about how much you can afford to get as well, because getting things like life insurance and other types of insurance is a balancing act like anything with personal financial planning. It's you know how much do you need versus how much you can afford. So as you've probably gathered already from the last couple of things we've looked at, insurance is a big part of financial planning. And we're going to be looking at it in a lot more detail later on this season, which is lucky for all you listeners out there because Craig is a big don in the world of insurance. Now, I'm not saying he's a Don Corleone type figure where the world of insurance is like a big family, shall we say, that you can never escape fully, but I'm not saying that he's not either. (laughs) Thanks. That's wonderful (laughs) of you to say, James. I I wouldn't like to comment on any of the speculation surrounding my income streams. (laughs) Craig also has not so tenuous links to waste management as well. I'm a legitimate businessman. (laughs) For now, it's a really good idea to work out what insurance you currently have and are paying for. Uh, This may be insurance that you've gone out and bought yourself, like car insurance and breakdown cover, buildings, contents insurance, phone cover, cover for your home appliances and gadgets, life, health, even critical illness insurance, or insurance that you get through something else. So for example, you may actually get life insurance automatically for your employer, and you may have chosen the option to purchase extra cover like health insurance for you and your family. Some sports teams also provide insurance as part of your subs. So for things like injuries, loss of life, loss of limb, that kind of stuff. And some premium bank accounts also give you things like travel insurance. That may be included as part of any sort of monthly subscription you pay for your bank account. But until you actually sit down and think about it, you may not even realize what insurance you've got or what insurance you're paying for. So a good idea is to put everything into a table. It's a good way of seeing what you've already got and helps to highlight where there are any gaps. So I'll put an example of this in the show notes on the website as well. But think along the lines of what type of insurance it is, what does it cover, what excess do you have to pay when making a claim? And excess is often where you have to pay the first, say, 50 or 100 pounds of a claim that you make, and it's used to discourage you from making too many little claims. You have to think of as well about do you get it directly or through something else like your employer? How much does it cost you, whether that's monthly or annual? When is it up for renewal? And then think about do you actually need it? And if you do, do you still have an insurance gap? So in other words, if something were to happen to you, are you fully covered by that insurance or will you still need to pay out some more money on top? You'll probably find that you've got insurance you didn't even realize or you've forgotten about that you're paying for, some of which may be useful, some of which not so much. And it may highlight some key areas that you haven't got any cover for. So Craig, the next thing we need to work out is our current net wealth position. And to put this simply, it's basically the amount of money you have at the moment minus the amount of money you owe at the moment. So why do you think setting this out would help you, Craig? Well, I guess it would help to understand the the base that you're working for as you plan for the future. Again, it's going back to what you said earlier. You have to know where you are before you can figure out how to get to where you want to go. So if your net wealth position is not necessarily healthy at the moment, then you'll probably need to work on that if you want to get to where you're going. Exactly. That's exactly right. And also how much it might cost to get there. 
So the difference or the gap between the two is what we need to plan for. So in other words, we need to know how much money we have to figure out how to get our hands on more to achieve our goals. And once we know that, we can start to develop our plans to get that money. I think another thing that it does show you is what type of accounts you already hold and whether these are the right ones for you or not, and then how you may be able to use these to help achieve your future goals. So yeah, unfortunately, Craig, another table coming up. But for me, if you've got a list of all the things in front of you, then it's a good way of seeing everything in one place. So I'm going to put another template for you to use uh, for your own situation in the show notes that will help you work out your own net wealth position. So the way that I do it is to draw up a list of all the savings accounts, all the investments and assets or pensions that I have. And I normally do it by separate account or investment holding. And next to each one, write the type of account or investment it is, the amount that I think it's worth at the moment. And that's obviously going to change. It changes day by day, even within a day. How much you originally invested in it, including any costs of buying and selling an investment. So for example, if I put down my new house that I've bought, I'd also put down the costs that it cost me to buy it. Whether that asset can provide an income, and if it does, how much? So that can be things like dividends or interest or rental income, and how long it would take to turn that asset into cash. So for example, if you've got cash in a bank, that's straight away. A house could be months or even years, and then some investments are anywhere in between. The next thing that I like to do, this kind of makes it a little bit more than just a table with a load of information in it, it makes it more relevant to you, is on a scale of one to 10, with one being very concerned and 10 not giving a shit at all, rank how you would feel if you had to sell that investment. And then next to that, rank how you would feel if that investment suddenly became worthless. Once you've done that, you'll have an idea of how much money you actually have altogether. And that may be quite easy because you may just have one bank account and no assets. It may be more complicated than that. If you've moved companies a lot of times, you've got a lot of different pensions or you've got a lot of different types of accounts, joint accounts, that kind of stuff. It will really vary between each person. And then under that, you can use a similar number of columns, but with different headings. Write a list of the money that you owe. So you can use your debt priority schedule from last season's What's Your Debtitude episode. And if you haven't listened to that, I would highly recommend going back and listening to it because it's really useful. But basically, what you really need to put down in this table is how much you originally borrowed, how much you owe currently, how much interest you have to pay each month, how long it will take you to repay it all. And then on a scale of 1 to 10, rank how damaging you think the debt is to your financial future with one being not damaging at all and 10 being extremely damaging. And then on a scale of one to 10, rank your priority of paying it off. Number one, you're not really worried about paying it off or you're making minimum payments. 10 is that you're looking to pay as much as you can each month to get rid of it. So once you've done all of that, add up all the amounts of money that you have and then take off all the amounts of money that you owe. And that's your statement of net wealth. So for some people, it's going to be really simple. For other people, like I said earlier, it may be more complicated, but it really helps to highlight whether you're in a good, bad, or or in different financial situations. So if it's zero, that's great. You're not in a position where you owe more than you actually have. If it's positive, that's great because you have more money than you owe. So brilliant. You're starting to be able to put money aside to meet your financial goals in the future. 
if the amount is negative, then that's a bit of a worse situation to be in because now you're currently owing more than you can actually repay off in one go. That doesn't mean that you can't repay it in the future, but if you had to repay everything now, then you're not in the best financial situation because you wouldn't be able to do so. And it can mean that that's detracting from saving towards your future financial goals because you're having to pay off this debt. So it's just a statement at the current moment in time and doesn't mean that it's not going to change, but at least it will set out where you currently are and can help highlight where you may need to make changes to help improve your situation. Now, it's really up to you. You can just leave it like this, just have one block at the top of everything that you have, one block at the bottom of everything that you owe. But it's a good idea to split out the investments. So you put the pensions separately because unless you're already doing so or planning to access these in the next 10 years, you can't really get your hands on the money now if you need it. So you should think of these as long-term assets that are locked away for now. And if you have one, I'd also put your house out separately and any mortgage you owe on it separately as well. Because even if your house is now worth a lot more than you paid for it, the chances are that you're always going to want a permanent place to live. So we're not willingly sell it to get the money to get by, unless, of course, you're planning to downsize in the next few years, in which case, leave it in the main table. But a house can also take a long time to sell and free up any money. And a house value is one of those things that is actually very rarely checked. And you only really check your house value when you're looking to sell it in the future. So really getting an understanding of how much it's worth can be quite difficult. And then on the loan side of things, I would also split out any student loans you have because these are paid straight out of your salary. But there's usually not much benefit in paying them back early as they could be wiped out at some point in the future before you actually repay them. And they're relatively cheap when it comes to debt. So you can largely ignore these except to know how much that you are actually paying out each month and how much they're reducing your salary. You can always keep everything in one overall table and then split it out into separate tables, but it gives you a better assessment of the money that you can get your hands on easily enough and then what you need to pay back over the short to medium term. So this is obviously a massive simplification. And like I say, it's best to listen to some of the previous episodes in the last season, such as Watch Your Debtitude, because if you are in a negative debt situation or you're in a negative net wealth situation, then this will give you some ideas about how you can actually improve your position. But at the moment, having a net statement of your wealth is really good to actually see where you stand. That will really set us up for going forwards, for looking at things like what money we've got coming in, what money we've got going out, and how we can actually start thinking about setting aside things to achieve our future goals, which you've obviously thought about from the last episode. I know that's probably quite a lot to take in, but I think that pretty much covers everything for today's episode, Craig. What did you think of all of that? I think it makes sense. These are all key steps to sort of planning for your financial future. It's always worth putting things into a sensible order. There's sort of a things that you need to, to have in place before you can move forward and think about where we want to get to and, uh, and find out what we're going to do next. Good stuff. Great. Like I said, I'm going to put on the website a few different uh, tables that you can use as templates to figure out your own situation. It's entirely up to you whether you use them or not, or you may want to do your own thing. You may want to figure out a, a more visually appealing method. And if you do, feel free to drop us a note and uh, show us what you've done because um, we can then steal it and use it in the future. And um, I'm sure 
that everyone else would really benefit from it as well. So um, feel free to get in touch uh, if you've got any questions on what we've spoken about today as well. You can do so on Twitter or Facebook using the handle at Penny Radio Pod or via the website at pennyradio.co.uk. Get in touch with any questions. Sorry, we don't do song requests unless, Craig, you've taken up singing lessons during lockdown. I don't need lessons. My voice is wonderful. Okay, so Craig does song requests, so please send those in and he will sing something on the next episode. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I'll put in one. Um, my song request is WAP. What? WAP by Cardi B. Oh, I don't know that one, I'm afraid. Uh, definitely Google it straight after this show. I will. Can I just clarify something? Uh, in the show yeah. notes, you are going to put a link to the Dennis Bergkamp goal against Argentina in the semi final of France 98, right? Uh, yeah, I, I will do if I can find it. Let me just write that down. So, Dennis Bergkamp's goal against Argentina when really they should have been playing England in the 98 World Cup. And if they had been playing England, we would have definitely beaten France in the final. We wouldn't have got past Dennis Bergkamp. It's, it's academic. <laughs> well, who knows? We'll never know now. We did have the greatest of all time, Shearer, with a young, sprightly Owen as well. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to name a better English striker of the last 30, 40 years. I mean, Teddy biased. Teddy Sheringham was great, a wonderful, creative mind, absolutely. He was uh, an asset for any team that he was on, but he simply wasn't as good as Alan Shearer. Yeah, that's true. But combined, they were awesome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Almost like the Andy Cole and um, Dwight York for England. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yes, absolutely. I mean, to be fair, I mean that wasn't my preferred Andy Cole strike partnership. I'd have to say Andy Cole and Peter Beardsley. Mm, Obviously, Peter cool. Beardsley problematic nowadays. Can't really yep. talk about it too much. But as a footballer, quite good at football. <laughs> yeah, well with Andy Cole. He did, he did. I bet that must have been uh, very disappointed for you when he went to uh, Man United. Yes, it certainly was. But, you know, we bounced back with Sir but it wasn't all bad. True, very true. Next episode, we're going to be covering the money coming into our accounts and the money going out. So something you can do in preparation is to have a look through the last three months' worth of your bank statements so you've got an idea of how much you spend and on what. So definitely worth getting those together and even having them in front of you for going through the next episode. So I think that's all from me, Craig. Have you got anything insightful or philosophical you want to impart to our listeners before we sign off? Um, I'd just like to tell our listeners that be sensible when it comes to money. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the, <laughs> the rivers and the streams that you know. Do you know, um, so for all you listeners out there, my wife is called Lara. Lara, when she was younger, thought the song was called Don't Go Jason Waterfalls. She thought there was a guy called Jason Waterfalls. <laughs> she thought that he was going somewhere and that the song was telling him not to go anywhere. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? What a guy, Jason Waterfalls. <laughs> Don't go Jason Waterfalls. <laughs> oh, so you do do song requests? <laughs> No, that's it. That's uh, that's all I've got. I'm sorry. Well, it was it was hauntingly beautiful, and I'm sure it will stick <laughs> with everyone who hears it for a long, long time. And on that note, <laughs> thanks very much for tuning in to Penny Radio. And until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from me. 
Radio. Join me next time where we'll be continuing the journey to help you master your money. Thank you.